0: A scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 14. But he said to him, A man's one gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Thank you, Lyle. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. I think I'm the first to say that so far, right? Happy New Year. I hope uh, 2018 is treating you well so far. Uh, but I actually wanted to start off with a, a rant that I have about the new year, um, and so it's so here it is. The big idea is that January 2nd is like the weirdest day of the year, so weirdest day of the year, because you're coming off of uh, the highs of the holidays, right? So you've just done Christmas and you've done uh, New Year's, you've slept in, you've eaten too much, you've hung out with uh, friends and family, you've taken time off work. That's totally different. You've you just convinced yourself of all the ways that 2018 are gonna, is going to be different, than 2017, you posted those resolutions online so that people will hold you accountable, uh, or, or, or for whatever reason. Then, so you've done all this stuff, and then, uh, you know, it's January 2nd, your alarm goes off, and you're like, no, this isn't how it's supposed to be, this, <laughs> this isn't what 2018 is, this isn't how I pictured it in my mind, and you, 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 know, you turn the alarm off, and the same thing happens on the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and now you're here. Now you're uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? It feels exactly like 2017. It's like, what went wrong? Why shouldn't we be better at this by now? Wasn't um, you'd think that you know technology would make life easier in this regard, but it's only made it like worse. Have you notice that? You know, uh, this will really make you sad. There, about a hundred years ago, there uh, futurists and economists. Uh, we're trying to predict what would life be like, basically right around now. And uh, because of technology and increasing efficiency, people like uh, John Maynard uh, Keynes, who's an economist, they, they basically said, we're, we're going to be hardly working at all. So he, he wrote an article back in the 30s called something like, um, the li- what, my, my, what my grandchildren's lives will be like, or something like that. And uh, he predicted, and many agreed with him, that we'd be working 15-hour weeks. And have five day weekends. Can you, can you imagine how much Netflix we'd be watching if we had five day weekends? It'd be insane. Uh, and uh, of course, that's not you're laughing. It's not at all what ended up happening. Um, and so, but my favorite part is that NPR recently went out and found his grandkids. <laughs> well, actually, so they found they found his his brother's kid. He didn't have kids, so they found his brother's kids. And they said, hey, you know, your, your great uncle wrote this article. What is your life actually like? And, one, you know, one of them's like, well, I work 15-hour days. Uh, so he got, he got the number right, you know. And another one said, you know, it's hard enough to take. Taking two, taking two whole days off is hard enough. You know, I can't imagine taking five-day weekends. And that's, that's our lives, no one in here feels like, man, I've got too much time on my hands. I, 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 hardly, I really doubt it. And the most common answer to how are you doing, other than fine, is tired or busy or overcommitted or overstretched, right? If you really pay attention to yourself, basically we say one of these phrases almost every day. We say something like, I'll get to that when I have time. We say, I'm sorry I didn't get to that, I ran out of time. Where we say you're right, that's important. I need to make more time for that. I mean, mean, just watch you—you'll catch yourself all the time, and we feel enslaved to what needs to get done, and we feel guilty at the end of the day about what we didn't get done, and and we realize that time this, this is one of the most precious commodities that we that we have. But what if this this issue in in your life and mine it wasn't really about a scarcity of time? What what if? This constant state of hurriedness and busyness that I think most of us feel wasn't doesn't have to be our state. What if we had an opportunity to choose something else? What, what if what if Jesus offered us something different? And that's really what we want to talk about in the next couple of weeks, is that God in Jesus offers us a, a, a something simpler, something better than what we often choose for ourselves for our lives. So if you're if you're new here to Christ community or if you're new to the to the faith, um. I want you to know that we think here that, you know, Jesus' opinion on, on, on any given topic is the most important thing that can be said about that. And so over these next three weeks, we're going to listen to Him. We're going to uh, take three lessons from Jesus in the book of Luke uh, to uh, where He kind of unpacks this life that He invites us to, this different life. This, we're calling it simply different, this different kind of life. Than what we're used to, than what we often choose ourselves. Reminding ourselves that Jesus says, Don't look to the new year for a new life, look to to me. And specifically, just to give you a heads up, we're going to talk about three topics over the the next three weeks in in January. It's a really short little series. Um, So we're going to talk about, uh, we could have picked different ones, but I think these are pretty universal. So we're going to talk about time. That's today. Talk about time. So the days, weeks, months that make up our our lives. Then we're going to talk about lifestyle. our money, our possessions, our, our plans. Uh, and then we're, we're going to end on attention. So what, what should we be paying attention to? And how do we pay better attention? It's such a distracting world. So that's kind of where we're going. So today we're focused on time, right? We all feel too busy. We all put Band-Aids on our calendar and on our time. We've talked a little bit about that. But we still feel overwhelmed with our schedules. I mean, that's probably the number one thing I hear from most people in church as I've, as I've talked to you is it's, it's over, life just feels kind of overwhelming, feels like there's too much going on. There's, uh, there's too much on my plate. There's too much in my calendar. And the interesting thing is that Jesus talks about that. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about overscheduling, per se, as we would understand it. But He talks about the human problem with time. It's not a new problem. He talks about the human problem with time. And you just heard the text read, uh, but uh, I'm gonna, let, let, let's dive in together. If you brought your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 14. And uh, Jesus gives a story here to illustrate this. It's, a, it's called a parable. and I, That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. So turn there. Let me reread uh, verse 16 and 17 real quick to just kind of reorient us. So Jesus begins uh, this, this, our problem with time. And this is how he addresses it. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So Jesus starts this whole story. He says there's a host who's going to throw a party, and not just any party. Jesus says it's going to be a great banquet, a great feast, a huge meal. Now, um, feasts like this in the ancient world are incredibly important. You know, we often come to a story like this, and we hear Jesus say someone's going to throw a dinner party, and we kind of think, you know, it's like a Friday night, and there's, you know, a dozen people come over, but that's not at all what Jesus is describing. This is more like the Grammy Awards. It's like that scale, this is a great banquet. Tons of food, tons of people, entertainment, right? You know, uh, pull all the stops. Just, just a, this is the kind of event at this time that would be the highlight of your whole year. You know, once every five years, you maybe get invited to something like this. Maybe never, depending on your social status. You may never go to an event like this. It's a really big deal. And uh, what, the, what the host would do, not unlike today, is when they, when they decided on a date and, and time for the uh, for the banquet, they would send out a, a messenger as an RSVP. So, they would send them out to the people who they wanted to invite, and the messenger would say, on this date, on this and such and such time, there's going to be a banquet, and my master would love it if you would come. And you would say in that moment, of course I'm going to come. Let them know. You would RSVP to that person. It's just like today. Now, the way Jesus tells this story, that part, the RSVP part, has already happened. So, if you look at verse 17, the master's already saying, Okay, now go out and tell everyone who said yes that the time has come. Go out to everyone who's, who's planned on this, who's, who's RSVP'd, go get them. Tell them that now everything is ready. So that's where Jesus picks up. The food's ready, the tables are set, the music's playing. And so the host sends the servant out. And he, and he says, go and tell everybody, everyone that now is the time you can come. And so he goes out, and, but you look at verse 18. They all alike began to make excuses, one after the other last-minute cancellations, not one, it, the way it reads is that not one person who is invited actually ends up coming, and the excuses are totally lame, I mean, you really look at them, they're really bad, so, I mean, for those first guy, for example, he says, I bought a field, I must go out and see it, please have me excused. Now, buying a, a field is like buying a home. You don't do it without looking at it. I'm hoping that you've never bought a home without at least looking at it or having someone you trust look at it at least, this guy, so clear, this guy had to have already looked at this field. Now maybe he means I've got to go check on this one specific thing again or I need to kind of get the land ready for something. But whatever it is, it's like you knew this was coming and yet at the last minute now i got to go, got to go back and look at my field that, you've, that you already have. Can it wait a day? When you get to the second guy. It's like he buys oxen. Now, this is probably a work-related purchase. It's probably a farmer of some kind, needs oxen for his work. And he says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. <clears throat> and when I first read that, I thought, what, what does examining an oxen look like? And I thought, actually, I don't want to know what that looks like. <laughs> um, but then, right, it's like, can't they, won't they be okay for a day without you? Just one day? And if not, if they need you every day, then you probably bought the wrong animal, right? Like, that's a really bad sign. Can, or can someone else do it for you? You know, I can just imagine the messenger thinking this through, coming up with, well, aren't there a million other things you could do besides not coming to the party? And the last one, this last one is my, my favorite. He says, I got married, so I can't come. <laughs> he doesn't even bother to be nice about it. The other ones at least kind of acknowledge that this is really rude. They say, please have me excused. This, he, does, he just says, I can't come. Bye. Sorry. Whatever. And if I'm the messenger there, it's like, <laughs> how does he not just say to that guy, Bring her with you, you dummy. It's a party. You've got your whole lives to sit at home and be bored together because she'll love it. Come to the party. You're crazy. Jesus, and it's a, you get the sense here, Jesus is going out of His way to make these look particularly lame. It's, it's almost exaggerated what, the way He tells the story. And all the while, keep in mind, they have known this day was coming. This is not a surprise. This is not a last-minute invite. This is not your friend who texts you at 10 p.m. on Thursday night and says, let's go out, and you're like, I can't, I have a real job tomorrow. It's not like that guy. They know, they, know, they planned on it, they, they wrote it down, and then they didn't go. They, they completely missed out. <clears throat> and here's the big idea, and this is actually quite jarring, the way Jesus does this. Jesus, Jesus, he'll often tell parables, right, as a way to summarize and synthesize what life is really like. So that he, he kind of boils all of life down to this. He says, here's what your life is like. Your life is like getting invited to a party by the most amazing host. So in the, in the context of the parable, that's God himself. God himself is, is the host. Of, he's invited you to this amazing party that you can't even possibly fathom or imagine. You've been invited by the most powerful person in the universe to the most amazing party ever, and you turned him down because you were too busy. Because you didn't have time. And we often think <clears throat> that saying no to God, right, turning down his invitation, especially for those of us, I think, who've been in church for a while or have grown up in the church, uh, we tend to think that that looks like being a really, really bad, like, sinner, right? You have, like, the category of person who says no to God's invitation. You know, these are people, these are drunkards, these are partiers, licentious people, these are gamblers, these are pleasure seekers, right? Those are the people who are far from God who will turn down His invitation. We think that's the person most at risk of turning down God's invitation. But Jesus isn't really concerned about those people in this parable at all. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will point out that those kinds of people are saying yes to Him. Jesus says the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners, right, all the, the, the bad people back in the day in the first century, he says, they're coming in. They're following me. They're responding. Jesus is, 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 is much more concerned, not with the people that are perceived to be far from him, but with the people who cannot make time for him, who think I'm in, I'm good with God, I'm great, and, and, and so I can take his invitation for granted. It'll be there when I need it. Jesus is much more concerned with the people who have RSVP'd, yes, yes, I'll go, but when the time comes, they do not make it a priority to actually show up. And there's there's something else to do, there's somewhere else to be, there's too much on my plate, I can't be there. And Jesus is also pointing out something profound about our problem with time, this human problem with time. And here it is. Our problem with time has absolutely nothing to do with time. Nothing to do with time. We do not say no to God because our calendars are full. We say no to God because in the moment when it matters the most, there's something else more important to do. That's our problem with time. Another way of putting that is we have a priority problem. It's a priority problem. Part of the reason maybe that we feel overcommitted and overbusy and distracted and overwhelmed in our lives is that we've mixed up our priorities. What's most important, we have not kept most important. And the guests who, who fail to, to come to this party, their biggest mistakes, if you notice this, their excuses are all around really good things. Did you pick up on that? It's not bad things, it's good things. Possessions, like, like a field, are a good thing. That's a gift from God. It's a good thing to have possessions. Our, uh, our work, like oxen for a farmer, that's a good thing. We should dedicate ourselves and work hard in our vocation. That's a part of how we're designed. It's a part of what God wants us to do. Marriage and all kinds of other relationships, friendships and family, those are really good things. Owning a field and working hard and having relationships or having, being married, having spouse, having friends and family, these are not bad things, but when they are misprioritized, see, and this is Jesus' point, when they are misprioritized, they become absolutely deadly. It's sobering to me as I studied this this week, uh, to realize that perhaps the most dangerous enemy to our spiritual health is not the bad things that we do despite what God says. It's the good things we do despite God's invitation. And here's the real danger, and it's, 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 actually, it's actually embedded right here in the parable, okay? It was that we perhaps, perhaps even right now, in this moment, and I've, I've found myself doing this, We're hearing this and we're nodding along like, yes, that's why God is the most important. My top priority, I know that He's the most important. I know that time with Him and my my devotion to Him is a non-negotiable in my life. So, we're right now saying this to ourselves, yet our actual lives, our calendars, our time is filled with obstacles and excuses that will keep us from ever actually saying yes to that invitation from God. We... We have tricked ourselves into RSVPing, yes, God, I'll be there, with absolutely no means and no intention of actually showing up when that moment arrives, when God actually knocks on our door, when that friend you know, invites us to church and says, you need to commit to being here, or when God puts something on your plate, whether it's part of your job or a new rela- or a relationship or something that's got his fingerprints all over it that he wants, this is where you need to focus right now, and we say, I don't, I can't right now, I don't have time. Yes, God, I want to serve you and follow you, but not that, not right now. And suddenly, right, it's like I've got a field I've got to go see. I've got an oxen. I've got a, a relationship that I need to attend to. And God, you're going to have to take a rain check because I can't fit you in right now. So what's our, what's our real priority? What's our real? And I put the word real there as we ask ourselves this question, because we all have a priority in our head and on paper. That's not what I'm asking you. Well, what what are you actually prioritizing in your life? Right, and Jesus gives you the litmus test right here. Jesus says that your your good intentions have nothing to do with your priority. What you intend to do will not tell you what your priority in life is. It's what you actually do. That will show you. If that, if nothing will show the love of your heart, the main thing in your life, the main love of your, of your life, better than what you will make time for and what you'll actually show up for. So here's, a, here's an exercise I think will be helpful, and I'm going to do it this week as well. Okay? Either, either later today or sometime this week is to take your calendar and look through that last week and write down everything you did I'm not talking about the stuff that's already on your calendar that you don't mind looking at. Go back and write down actually every, every hour what did I do. Account for all of it, even the things you don't want to write down like the three hours I watched The Crown on Netflix. Write it all down. The things you don't want anyone to see, write it down. Those three nights I only got four hours of sleep because I didn't plan my day well or whatever. Write all that down. Look at what's actually filling your time and look at that week and ask yourself, what is this telling me, is actually most important to me. I know that's kind of scary. (laughs) I'm not excited about doing that, (laughs) but we have to look at we have to see that. It's going to tell us so much. Maybe you're going to notice things like, wow, I work 70 hours a week pretty consistently. You know, what is that telling me? Why am I doing that? Is that a good thing? Is that seasonal? Or is that all the time? What's that doing to other, other areas of my life that God wants me to be faithful in? What's it doing to my relationships? What's it doing to my personal health? Am I doing it for the right reasons? Right, you can begin, now you can begin to ask yourself questions. Maybe you're going to notice that, uh, if you, those of you who have families, you're going to notice we didn't spend one night together this week. And that's been a pattern. Right? We got a game here and a bas- basketball and soccer and basically we got a every, every single night of the week and Saturday's out because we got all day activities on Saturday and you, just got, you look at that and ask yourself, is that what we should be doing? Is that actually the best thing our family can do? Or is this just part of the rat race of what our culture tells us is a successful family? This is what it looks like. And maybe you'll look at your time and realize, man, a lot of my time is focused on me and what I like, and what I'm comfortable with, and what makes me happy, and I'm getting like some sad faces. I am not <laughs> trying to condemn you. Um, I, am, I am the chief of sinners here, but we've got, we have to take this, we have to look at this. I, I, don't think, I, don't, I know it's not easy in a lot of ways, but we have to do this. What is, what is our actual time telling us about what we love, what we prioritize? And then, and then once you can name it and own it, then we can begin to say, okay, how can I make a different choice? How can my life look different? How can I be, be better about choosing the life God has for me instead of just the one I'm reacting to? And for some of you… I just want to get practical for just a second. For some of you, maybe that means doing a zero-based calendar. Do you know what that is? It's like you… Rather than saying, okay, uh, you know, how am I going to make time, you just wipe everything off. Start at zero. Even the things you feel like, I can't not do that, you, you wipe it out. And you add things back that actually align with your priority. So you're, you're not reacting to life, you're planning it. Maybe it means, you know, having a statement over your calendar saying, if it's not doing this, then I think I should probably not do it. Maybe it means doing that. Uh, maybe for some of you it's... Um, and in the midst of that, you can, you can say, you know, spending time with God daily is a high priority on this new I can actually add that in. Maybe um, it's a, creating a stop doing list. We're really, really good as human beings at creating start doing lists. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. We're usually pretty bad at starting a stop doing list. Here's the things I, I should not be doing. And you can see it in our New Year's resolutions for the most part. Every year, almost every year we convince ourselves, 2018 will be better because I'm going to do more than I did in 2017. I wasn't doing enough. <laughs> I got to add these three things. And it almost never works. Create a, maybe it means creating a stop doing list. And, and, and actually, it's right here in the, in the story that Jesus tells that, that there are things in our lives, this is really difficult work because there are things in our lives that are really, really good. But at the end of the day, they are actually distractions from what's best. There's nothing bad that these guests are doing. It's all good. But it keeps them from what's best. It, every, when I see that, it always reminds me of Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great. He's an, kind of an organizational leadership thinker. He said organizations that get, in, you know, the hardest decisions, whether you're leading an organization or planning your life, are not between what's good and what's bad. Those are fairly obvious. The hardest decisions are about what's between what's good and what's great. He said, the enemy of great is not bad, it's good. <laughs> what, there may be good things in your life that you're doing that at the end of the day are, are actually just distracting you from what God has for you, even though they're good. So maybe you need to make a stop doing list. That's why that's helpful. And then what, whatever it is for you, Jesus makes it clear that if, if we don't prioritize Him, we will never have His best in our life. If we don't make Jesus our top priority, we will never have God's best life for us for for anything else that we do. But that's actually not our only problem here. So we have a priority problem and so do the guests in in our story. But there's another, there's a bigger problem actually. It's it's related to this one. But it's underneath, there's a bigger problem. There's a reason our priorities are so out of whack, right? That doesn't just happen on its own. And here's what, it reminded me Um, of the time, probably about a year ago now, that I'm I'm telling my son Benjamin that he's about to go to Disneyland. So he's playing in his room. We're about to take a trip to California. His grandparents are going to take him to Disneyland, so I'm trying to psych him up, right, try to get him ready. He's never been. So he's in there, he's playing with his toys, and I say, okay, Ben, you're going to go to Disneyland. It's the best place on earth. I grew up, I mean, I'm from L.A., so I grew up going there all the time. I love that place, so you're going to love it. Your grandparents are going to be there. You're going to see all your favorite characters. It's going to be great. You're going to get this kind of bad food for you, and that kind of bad food for you. It's going to be awesome. I'm t- so, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. I, I stop, and I say, doesn't that sound good? And he, he stops playing. He looks at me and says, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> right? He says, I want to stay in my room. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Right? So now I'm just pleading with him. I'm like a crazy person. I'm like, Ben, no, 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 you don't understand. This... This is, Disneyland is so much better than your room, okay? <laughs> right? And then I notice he's playing with Disney toys. And I say, Ben, those toys are only fun because of Disneyland. Like, they're directly related. Right? Even the good stuff in your room, Ben, even the stuff you're playing with right now, is, is, it, 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 it's the, fulf- Disneyland is the fulfillment of that. <laughs> Imagine if the game you're playing with those characters, that came to life. That's what Disneyland is. But he still can't imagine, he can't picture it. He doesn't want to go. Now, luckily, he's a child, and I made him go anyway. It doesn't matter what he wanted to do. (laughs) Right? This is what we do. This is what we do. This is our biggest problem with our time, especially as it relates to God. We have no idea what we're saying no to. We have no idea what we're missing. We've completely failed to comprehend the audacity and the wonder and the beauty of God's invitation when he didn't have to. And Jesus, you notice, is adamant in how he tells the story, how he begins the story. This is a great feast. He could have just said, Be there invited to a banquet. He says, This is a great banquet. This is not Instant Pot. This is not Papa John's. This is not raiding the fridge at night for a snack. This is something totally different. This is a great feast. How do we know it's a great feast? What the, you know, you look at who's preparing it. It's the first thing you do. Who's preparing it? You ever watch a cooking show, a chef's table? You know, it's all who's the chef? Who's making the food? That's the most important thing. And Jesus says here, right, that the, the, the master of ceremonies here, the master of the chef, the chef, the party planner, is the God of the universe. He's the one, the one who made food, who invented smell, who thought up taste and touch and texture. He is the one who prepares this, he prepares the feast. There's no better chef. How do you know it's good? Well, you look at the one who invites you, and then you look at the cost. It's another way to know if a food's going to be good. You do this. You go on Yelp, and if there's $4 signs, you're like, that's a good restaurant. I can't go there. <laughs> but that's really good. You look at the cost. So what does this cost? Well, when, when, as Jesus unpacks the truth of this banquet that we're invited to, that God's preparing for us, It is inviting us to now, as he begins to unpack that idea, you you begin to get the sense that the the cost of this supper is astronomical. It actually cannot be reckoned financially. It's it's, it's so expensive. When When Jesus teaches us to practice for this banquet, it's called the Lord's Supper. When Jesus teaches his disciples to prepare for it, he says, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. My sacrifice, on the Son of God Himself, my sacrifice on the, is the payment for this meal so that you can be there. That's how expensive this is. That's the payment. There's no more costly meal than that in the world. Then you, look at what, then you look at what's on the menu. Have we actually looked at the menu? Have we looked at what God is offering? It's more than just gourmet food. At God's banquet, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's community, there's love, there's acceptance, there's rest. There's beauty, there's pleasure, and there's eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. That's the dessert, right? That's the cherry on top. Nothing else in your life compares to this. And, and, and even the good things in your life that you can probably think of right now, your, your community, your friends, your, your family, your work, and your possessions and your, your stuff, right? All the good things, all the good gifts that God's given you, they are all preparation. They're a foreshadowing of the feast to come. They don't compare to it, they're the Disney toys in your room, that's what they are. But the life, the banquet, at coming, that is the fulfillment, that's the real thing. So now you can begin to ask yourself, right, think of all the good things in your life, you have never actually tasted what food is supposed to taste like. Even at its best, it's an approximation you've never actually experienced true intimate friendship the way you were meant to. Even if you've got great friends or your marriage is great or you've got great relationships, it's a a taste of what's to come. The real party, the real life, right? These things in your life, they testify to the banquet God has for you. They're not meant to get in the way of it. They point you to it. And Jesus is pleading with us in this parable. He is saying, "Do not walk away from this. Don't say no to this invitation, especially not for more Twitter and Facebook. not to impress you know, a bad boss at work, not to keep up with the family down the street, not to numb yourself right to your busyness, or you, you choose to do this. You come to the feast of God. These things don't compare. Don't just intend to go, actually go. It's already been prepared for you. Jesus says everything is ready. All you have to do is show up. That's why this parable ends with a host saying, go out to the blind and the lame and the sick and then go out to the highways and go out of town. Go find anybody and everybody who will say yes. Because God isn't looking for the rich. He's not looking for VIPs to come to his banquet. He's not looking for the rich and the powerful and the influential He's looking for anybody and everybody who will say yes and will come. That's who God wants. There's no magic to this different life God has for you. Say yes to his invitation. Come to the supper he's prepared from before the beginning of the world. And you can do it now. You can do it right now. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. That's how we wanted to end our our time in this text. And maybe for you, you've done that, maybe, most of you have probably done this many times. Maybe you've never thought about this as an invitation to you to God's banquet. That this is God's humble offering to say there's more where this came from when I return. Maybe you've, you, you've never seen this as his humble invitation to you to come and to celebrate his sacrifice for you so that you could dine with him at his table. So, come to the table, anybody and everybody who is ready to say yes to, to the feast of the King. This is for you. There are stations all around the room, and as we, as we prepare our hearts, I'd like to pray for us before we do it. If you would, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask for me and for us your forgiveness and grace over all the areas in our lives where we have looked at you and said please have me excused. Please excuse me. I can't be there, God. I can't do that. Forgive us. For the bad things we do that distract us from you, for the good things we do that distract us from you, God, forgive us. And God, as we come to your table now to receive again this fresh invitation of forgiveness and grace, God, renew our hearts to say yes to you and to mean it, to show up. God, we love
0: you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come.